0: Welcome, everybody, to the One to Go show. It is Puka once again joined by Ryan Aho and Bert Lehman. Coming up on the show Friday night, January 31st, the Lucas Oil Late Models commence their season at Golden Isle Speedway in Brunswick, Georgia. We have some commentary. iRacing. What's iRacing? Many of you have seen the iRacing logo plastered on some of Dirt Racing's top rides. We'll dig into iRacing a bit and help you make some sense of it. And fellas, yes, I'm talking to you fellas, St. Valentine's Day, Cupid's Arrow baby is just 19 days away. Thus, with Valentine's as our backdrop, the three of us are going to expound on how we fell in love with racing. With that, it's time to turn it over to you boys. How we doing?
1: Doing very well. Hey, doing
2: great, man. I, I, I got to be honest, I'm going to need that reminder for Valentine's. I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to have to keep reminding me on that so I don't get into trouble.
0: hey same here let's all do each other a favor (laughs) so all right fellas well the 16th season of the lucas oil dirt late model series kicks off this weekend with two nights of racing at golden isle speedway of course 56 dates on the docket this year and uh, this is the first time in several years that three-time champion scott bloomquist won't be in the mix Ryan, why don't you get us going tonight? Uh, How about your thoughts on the 2020 version of the Lucas Oil Late Model Series?
2: Well, I think one word comes to mind, domination. You know, I got to be honest, uh, you know, Bloomquist is not there, uh, but he's in the world of Outlaws, excited about that switch. But, you know, Jonathan Davenport has been the guy to beat, and is he going to continue his winning ways? So the Lucas Oil Series, they have some great stuff coming up, including two stops in Minnesota. So, as a minnesota guy at heart i'm excited about that and you know starting off here uh right around the corner you know we're talking here several shows in a row it's like man where's the off season is there such thing anymore and and there's really not you know it seems like it was just literally a week or two ago we were talking about wrapping up the 2019 season and uh we're already here speed weeks is uh is in full force down in florida and then georgia and we're excited for uh, we're excited for that to start. That's for sure.
0: Bert, your thoughts?
1: I, I'm looking forward to a really good season. Um, you know, you mentioned that Scott Bloomquist won't be racing with the series this year. Uh, I mean, he had his injury last year, so he didn't race in all the races last year. So it's not like this is the first year that he hasn't raced a full season with the tour. Um, but as as uh. Brian said, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Davenport can stay on top. Um, I am act- I was doing research for this show, and I'm actually really curious to see if Tyler Erb can put a full season together. Uh, looking at uh, the two races at Georgia to begin the season last year, and then the five races at East Bay, he didn't finish outside of the top five in those first uh, seven races. He kind of tailed off, you know, as the season went on. But, uh, you know, he's still still young, and I'm looking forward to see his progression and, uh, you know, seeing how much he improves this year. And I'm also uh, looking forward to watching Devin Moran uh, race on the tour. Um, he's run well down in Florida, so I'm expecting uh, uh, some strong runs from him down there.
2: You know, another guy I'm excited to see is Brian Shirley. Um, you know, I, in all my years of watching him race at Cedar Lake and stuff, he just kind of I personally, I've never seen him be all that fast. And I know he has been, but, uh, to, you know, to see what he did down in Arizona, he was absolutely the, the class of the field. I'm, I'm excited to see what Brian Shirley uh, does in the Lucas Oil Series as well.
0: Yeah, I just, I'm excited to see Kyle Bronson. You know, he, he, I don't know if he did the, did he do the whole series last year, Bert? You know, I know he raced in most
1: of the races. Okay. Yeah. So. You know,
0: and I, you know, and I, I think he, you know, didn't he roll a car and he might've missed a couple of races, but you know, just with that guy. stuff, oh, oh, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say him and Tyler Her- Herb had, <laughs> had uh, their incident uh, somewhere about mid season. And there's, there are some hard feelings between. Yeah. The yeah. Two. That was a, yeah, that was a great clip. And,
0: and just, you know, just with his rough style and, you know, he obviously he did, he's done the series now, so he's going to have a little bit more confidence. So is he going to be even more bold and, you know, bend some, some tin and and sheet metal and I just you know, it'll be interesting to see just kind of where he ends up and I guess you could say how many more enemies you know he makes. Uh, Ryan, you know, you you've turned some uh laps down there at Golden Isle. Why don't you uh tell us a little bit about what, you know, what the track is like? Actually, now.
2: I've been there, but I've never raced at Golden Isle. I've raced at some of the tracks down in Florida, but I actually uh I actually went and watched racing Actually, funny enough, I think I went down there with uh, Buzzy Adams, to be honest with you, Um, but I actually watched some racing down there, and I think, I believe the track has changed. I went down there, man, it was in the early 2000s, you know, like 2003, somewhere in that neighborhood, so we're talking a little over 15 years ago, it was a big half mile, it was very interesting, because it looked dry to start out the night, and they had Coke syrup on the track at the time, and just wicked fast but uh Bert might know this but I I believe over the last few years here did they shorten that place up I don't know yeah I think I think they did and that's something we can definitely look up and you know it's different I gotta be I gotta be honest with you you get down in the in the deep south down there and you get to some of them racetracks and it is totally different deal. Like we got the uh, the Canadian flag and the American flag up here and down some of those tracks, they got the American flag and the Confederate flag still going. So it's uh it's an interesting deal. Like I sometimes think the war's not over yet.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. So yeah, then the series uh they'll, like I said, they'll race uh, Friday and Saturday in Georgia, and then they'll move down to East Bay for the Winter Nationals starting on Monday. So we'll have plenty of coverage on the Lucas Oil Series next week anything else on that boys nope good yep. to go okay so like we said at the top valentine's is on its way so love is in the air so we wanted to talk about you know kind of when we you know if you want to say fell in love if that's maybe too strong of a word but kind of when and how we kind of got into the whole racing scene so uh ryan you started at the top so bert why don't you uh, fire away on this one
1: Well, um, my mom told me that they took me to my first race when I wasn't even one year old and apparently I loved it from the get go. So, uh, from there it's, uh, that's how I got my love for racing. My grandpa was actually on the Shawnee County fair board, uh, for the, which hosts the races in at Shawano Speedway. He was on the fair board for over 40 years. So I'm sure it's because of him that you know my family went to the races to begin with and uh, as a kid uh, you know we grew up about 30 miles or 30 miles from Shawnee and I'd get to go to two races a year plus the fair race and I followed the races by running to the mailbox every Tuesday to get the, the newspaper to see who won on Saturday night you know it's 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 not like today when you just go to the internet five minutes after the races are over and you have the results so Um, I, I found my love for racing at a very young age. So
0: did you get to go like every week because of grandpa?
1: Uh, no, I didn't go every week because he would actually, um, he would actually leave at like two o'clock in the afternoon and he would take care of setting up, you know, the tickets and getting everything ready in the office. And he would actually go home once the race has started. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, he was, he wasn't. Necessarily a race fan, he was more of a business person who wanted to see the races succeed. Awesome, and so that was Shanno you said. Yeah, that was Shanno Speedway. When
0: did you start moving around a little bit, going to like Seymour and Antigo and those kind of things?
1: Uh, well, actually, it was always my dream to race someday. Um, so, oh. <laughs> I mean, this is going to sound weird. I actually bought a book from a racing magazine. And the book was How to Get Started in Racing. So one of the suggestions in that book was to get on a pit crew for a driver in the division that you want to race in. Uh, Well, the division I wanted to race in, I couldn't find the address for the driver that I wanted to uh, get in the pit crew for. So uh, MJ McBride was my favorite late model driver. So I actually looked up his name in the phone book. Uh, got his address. This was when I was a freshman in college, and I wrote him a letter asking if I could uh, come to their shop sometime when they're working on the race car, just so I could see what it was like, what it all entailed. And uh, he called me back. We made arrangements uh, for me to come to his shop. Uh, and he, uh, I went to his shop. I, you know, pulled into the driveway. Everybody's looking at me. I didn't recognize anybody. But then I recognized MJ because his picture was in the paper, you know, from winning features and stuff. And uh, I introduced myself. He introduced me to everybody. And uh, one of the crew members actually put me to work cleaning an oil pan. And I don't know if they just assumed I wanted to be on the pit crew, but uh, they got my information. And I was on their pit crew ever since.
0: (laughs) What a stud. Sounds like a great guy.
1: Well, Well, and... This is a funny story, too. That was uh, 1990, and, you know, M.J. McBride has seven track championships at Shano Speedway, and uh, his last track championship was in 1989. Uh, so once I joined the crew, he didn't win any more championships at Shano. And I, I would tell him that every now and then, and he would just laugh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Ryan, we know racing has been in your blood since day one.
2: Well, hey, before we get to me, I want to get back to birthday. you know. You're, I think you're dating yourself just a little bit talking about all this print media, writing letters. You know, there's a lot of younger guys going, or you know, guys and gals maybe they're listening. And they're going, writing a letter. What is that? Why would somebody do that? Just shoot them a text. What are you talking about, right? You know. Yes. <laughs> go figure that. This was this was
1: before, this was before Al Gore invented the internet. Right, right, right. So go and
2: go figure that you are. Uh, that you were running out to read the paper. Why don't you tell everybody what you do now? You're also involved with racing on the print media side. You know, talk about that because I think it's interesting how you you really stayed in touch with racing by reading the results in the paper. What do
1: you do now? Touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and actually to go along with, you know, every Tuesday I'd run to the mailbox, get the the local paper so I could get the results. every weekend on Saturday in the paper, there was always a a racing column written by Todd Otto. And that's how I followed the races. I would read his column on the weekend and I'd read the results during the week. And when I was in college, um, the local paper in Shawano, they weren't, they didn't have a racing column anymore. And so I wrote another letter. Uh, I wrote the newspaper letter um, just telling them that they should have a racing column again. And if they didn't have anybody to write it, that I'd be willing to write one. Uh, So they contacted me and told me um, that I would be free to write a column if I wanted to, they paid me $10 a column. And so that's how I got started in the, on the journalism side. And that's how you
0: got rich. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got rich.
1: (laughs) Eventually they raised that to $25 a column. (laughs) Um, But, Yeah, I mean, and I've always wanted to, uh, you know, well, and I also wrote the results for the Shawano track for several years also, uh, probably, I don't know, five five to 10 years along the way. Uh, But in 2010, the company that I worked for, um, I convinced them to, I I threw together a, a complete business plan for a racing magazine to cover local racing and they agreed to do it. So uh, since 2010, with the exception of one year, I've been the editor of Full Throttle Racing, which covers uh, local racing, mostly in eastern and central Wisconsin, but both uh, dirt and asphalt racing.
0: Well, that's how I basically got introduced to you, is when you were writing the columns for All the Dirt, and I was writing columns for All the Dirt at the time, and then, like I said, when we and we, you know, we shuffled seats three or four times at the USA Nationals reserve seats, and and then we ended up by you, or you ended up by us. I can't remember who was there first, but I turned around and said, aren't you Bert Lehman? I mean, I just remembered your picture from from your columns because I used to enjoy your columns and read your columns. So, yeah, uh, well, that's that's a great way to keep, uh, you know... Yeah, are you
2: kidding me? So I've known you literally my whole, your whole entire life, and (laughs) literally right now, right now today, like, I was exactly today years old when i realized that you wrote for all the dirt i never knew puka that you even had a column in all the dirt when was that
0: well i excuse, excuse me i didn't have a column i i i did the hibbing article for well how do you think you got all the glory ryan i mean who do you think was pumping Man, your tires I, uh, who do you, think, I was you? i was you wondering i was wondering you didn't have flat tires you had pumped tires when i was there but no i would see 99 2000 you know i did I did about three quarters of one year. So, but um, that was it. So, but I mean, of course, I read, didn't matter. I read all the dirt faithfully anyway. You know, like I said, it's, isn't that funny to think? Like we all did, right? All three of us read all the, couldn't wait to get it, right? Weekly, and we all read it cover to cover.
2: Right. Yeah. And I was racing. So it's a little different for me. I honestly, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm going to be like probably most racers that are listening to this. I didn't really read it column to column. I kind of looked at the pictures and I tried to figure out which, which uh, articles were talking about me. Cause I wanted to see what they said, good or bad about how, uh, how my race program went. So.
1: I, and, and, the, and then, and you, then, then you looked at the point standings in the middle. I did, but I was kind of that OCD
2: <laughs> guy when I was racing for points, I had them all figured out before they were even in there. You know, I, so, and now you got my race pass. So that works out really well, but I was always on top of that. But Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't learn. I just, I just learned that. I didn't even realize that you wrote um, any, any race reports at all. That's pretty cool. So, so Puka, what, you know, why don't you go next? Why don't you tell us, how did you get involved with racing and, and uh, you know, tell us a story about like when you first fell in love with it. I want to hear that.
0: Yeah. So in the, you know, I was thinking about this. So, you know, late eight, I was born in 75. So late eighties is when I could start remembering things and, uh, for those of you that don't know i grew up in chisholm minnesota and i grew up right along highway 169 and if you've ever been to chisholm there's the highway and there's a big water tower at the top of the hill and on saturdays we'd be playing in the yard or whatever sandbox or playing kick the can or hide and go seek and about four o'clock on saturday afternoons but you know remember this is the 80s so we had maybe mitch johnson in an enclosed trailer and i know for sure jeff Hinkemeyer, the four f out of st cloud had an enclosed trailer other than that nobody did so you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, cars would start rolling down the highway heading south towards Hibbing to go to the races. You know, people like Rudy Ajo and people like Luciani and Gary Taylor and, and Jerry Vidal. So it was kind of exciting. We actually, there was a, a gas station across the street and a liquor store next to it. So sometimes the cars would pull into there. They'd fill up with gas and they'd jump over to the liquor store buy a couple of cases of beer and, and, you know, head and on even down. even if
2: they didn't need gas, right, Fuka, even if they didn't need gas, they definitely stopped at the liquor store. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, they spent a lot more time there. Yeah. So, so, you know, and, and my father exposed me to racing. As a matter of fact, ironically, my dad, before he went to Vietnam was, you know, he grew up best friends with Ryan's dad, Rudy, Aho, and pitted for uh, Rudy. And then he went to Vietnam and got married and such. And, and so we'd, we'd go to the races here and there as kids, my mom never really took to it. So mom and dad eventually bought a boat and mom and dad eventually bought a motor home. So we spent most of our weekends in the woods, uh, fishing and camping, but you know, we, we'd get to go a, a couple of times a year. And then I think that we were really solidified. Well, let me back up kind of what you were saying, Burke, back then the local coverage in the Hibbing daily Tribune newspaper was excellent for racing every Monday you know, they had a reporter at the races. So every Monday there was a reporter that wrote a nice article summarizing the weekend's events. And then every Wednesday they had a column uh, just with like the points, every division with the points. They always had a picture of a driver and then they kind of recapped what was going on. You know, this guy's leading the points and such and such. And then they'd kind of, you know, a paragraph about what was going to go on that weekend. It was going to be Boy Scout night or senior citizen night or or whatever. So, you know, I kind of followed it that way. And that's how I learned you know, a lot of the racing names, and actually 35, 40 years later, the names are the same. It's, you know, Vessel and, and Tardy and Kittner. I mean, you know, you could have seen a Kittner win a a feature race in 1985 and you'll be able to see a Kittner, you know, winner in 2019. It's just, it's crazy. The names haven't changed, but uh, what really solidified my, the sport was in Labor Day-ish, right before Labor Day in 1989. I called up to the AO residence and I said, yeah, hey, I'd like to come over to the Labor Day shootout. Ryan's mother answered, said, sure. Be at the house on Saturday at such and such time and I'll bring you over. So, cause I think Ryan, you were heading out with your dad. You were heading to the pits. So I biked out and Ryan lived out in the country a little way. So I biked over and, and uh, was so excited and drove over with Ryan's mother. I remember sitting there and this was 1989. And for those of you, that are from the Hibbing area. 1989 was the year that the late, uh, they were racing late into the evening, you know, into the night. It was, whatever, midnight, one in the morning, and the cops showed up at the up at the announcers' stand and said, "Hey, listen, you got to shut this down." For those of you that have never been to Hibbing Raceway, it's right in town. So they're racing late into the night, and and so the association convinced the police, that, well, one more race, one more race. So. Uh, this cop thing took quite a while so I ended up in the pits with Ryan I don't know if you remember Ryan we stood up I think on the M West trailer we watched they let the late models go then so the late models got to race I remember like Tom Stiding being you told me who Tom Stiding was Ryan and it was right next to the M West trailer and I you know jumped up there and and we watched the late model feature and and unfortunately and I remember going home that night and stayed at the A-Hos and and the next night there the next day it kind of rained and they ended up raining out the rest of the weekend but the funny story about that Ryan is what I remember, and you can correct me on a couple of things, was it AJ Foaked from Wisconsin that raced the Super? Yep. Yeah, and he was staying at your place. And we, like I said, the reason I think I rode my bike out there is that Sunday night, we were supposed to be at the races and everything rained down. We were hoping for Monday, but we, we went to sleep, quote unquote, in that bedroom downstairs, you were playing. And then we snuck out. We biked into town. Do you remember that? <laughs> like midnight? I don't I know. I, what, I we played, the, like, I, no, I played
2: I, the fifth on that.
0: <laughs> and we biked into town as like whatever the seventh, eighth, whatever we were, and it's like, what are we doing in town? It's midnight. There's nobody up. There's nothing going on. You know, so then we just rode back home, and and that was it. But that's kind of my, you know, earliest memory. And then my brother, like I said, this was '89. My brother got his driver's license in 1990. He turned 60, and so then we didn't have to camp as much. He'd he'd bring a car up there, and we could kind of ditch out. We we started going to the races a little bit more cons- consistently. So that's that's kind of how and when I fell in love with racing.
2: <laughs> that 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 brings back some memories. I, I I honestly forgot all about that. You know, I yeah. do remember. I remember that now, and I remember riding into town. I remember AJ Folt, and you know, uh, the late Lane Gann was was there and his family because Lane was the the chief mechanic uh, for AJ Folt's car. And yeah, that that brings back some some old times. That was the the last year that I was a spectator because I started racing then in 1990. So oh, 1989 yeah. oh, would have been my last year watching. And I started racing the the next year, but uh, my, you know, my story is a little bit different than your guys' is because my dad raced. You know, my dad raced for oh all of twenty years. So my whole my whole entire life, I was at the racetrack. <clears throat> but back in the day, you know, there was no there was no women in the pits. There was no kids in the pits. It just was not a deal. Like you you went in the grandstands. In fact, everybody pitted in the infield. Everybody wore white pants. You know, so you had to you had to be in the stands and. I had to beg my dad you know like I wanted to go there early and my mom wanted to get there at the last minute so as a little kid I remember getting to the track early and I was you know like you said everybody had um, open trailers so I stood at the pit gate I literally stood there with a camera now now this is gonna date me a little bit but you know cameras back then you had to go to the store and you had to buy film you know 35 millimeter film and, you know, they had, if you got lucky, you could find one that was 36 exposure instead of 24, you know, the, in all the different speeds. And, you know, money, you know, the money went into the race car. There wasn't a lot of money to go around. So if I got one roll of film, you know, that had to last me a little while. And it's like, I was so pumped. I wanted to get there. Well, everybody was on open trailer, so they'd pull through. And I, I would first ask the drivers, you know, hey, do you happen to have any pictures of your car? So I would ask them as they were going in, and I got to know some of the drivers. You know, Jeff Forseen was always really good to me, and, you know, people like that, uh, Roger Neamey, I was a fan of his. But if they didn't have pictures, well, then I would stand back, and, and I would I would take my best seven-year-old photography skills and take some pictures of the cars, and then I would hope and pray that they would actually turn out right because back then you'd actually you'd go to the you'd go to the store you'd get them developed and you'd be like oh man i hope they turn out good and then you look at them and it's like you got half the car in this picture and the sun's glaring down in this one and you're like oh my goodness are you kidding me like out of 36 photos you get like seven of them that were any good and it was just brutal it's not like today where you have an iphone you can take 400 pictures and you can just edit them and delete them and crop them and do all that. You couldn't do any of that stuff. So that's kind of how I got started going to the races. But what, and then what happened is this: I I fell in love with, you know, the the people, right? Because the the racing itself is a six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old. Yeah, that was all fine and good, you know. But honestly, the racing isn't what captivated me. It was all the other stuff. I absolutely loved when the feature winner would carry the checkered flag. I used to sit in front of Freddie Fran, the announcer forever at the Hibbing Raceway, and I would memorize what he said, and I could like reiterate every single person, their sponsors and everything. Um, The outer car introductions, literally I could have done it for sure. Now I wouldn't have been as good as Freddie. There's no way, but I could have did it. I could have, I knew where they were from. I knew their, I knew the car numbers. I knew the sponsors, all of that stuff. And I had Freddie's lingo down and another mutual friend of ours, Puka John Garver, <clears throat> I used to ride into town, and and we had matchbox cars set up at his house, and I, of course I had them at my house, and we would take turns being the announcer, announcing the races, and we had six cylinders, and we had, you know, back then, you know, you had to take masking tape, and we masking taped all the all the cars, and we painted them with markers, and we had we had like the whole Hibbing Raceway field. And we had all the cars down, and we take turns. In. And it turns out Garv is actually an announcer now. I mean, he, you know, his his main passion has been hockey. He was a heck of a hockey player, but now he's the announcer for UWS. So, so he yeah, he's a announce- fantastic and he, Yeah, and he's so good yeah, too. He's so, he's, so good. he's so good. He is. He is, and he's passionate about it. He's great. And and that's, that's the same Garv I knew growing up. But that's how he got his I, his first ever time announcing in my that I can think of was announcing Matchbox cars. We did the same thing with pedal bikes. We carried the flag. Me and my sister raced around. So that was kind of how I initially got started. But the year I fell in love with racing, like I truly just fell in love with it, it was 1982. I was, you know, seven. I turned eight in '82. Uh, my dad had had been racing the six cylinders. We went down the year before to the red uh, to uh, the Red Cedar Speedway to the Punky Manor, and he actually bought Ron Jones's car. Now, in 1981, Ron Jones was at the Labor Day shootout with the Red 7. And I never heard of this guy. I was young, but I'll never forget it. He went out, and he took the lead in the Superstock. He started driving away, and I'm like, wow, this guy's crazy fast. You know, I was a big fan. It had checkerboard over the roof. The car looked pretty cool. And then he started slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. I'm like, oh, what's happening to this guy? I didn't really know him, but I I was kind of watching it. And the uh, the yellow flag comes out, and all of a sudden he pulls down in the infield. And I'm like, huh, well, I guess he's done. I'm not sure who's going to win this now. Well, next thing you know, there's a whole bunch of mayhem there, right? And I'm like, what is going on? And here comes Jones back on the track, but now he's in a different car. There's like seven laps left in the feature, and he jumps in Steve Ruddiger's car, who's number 72. His car was also red. They duct tape over the two. And he goes to the back of the field, and the officials are like, wait, 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 you can't go out here. What are you doing? You can't. And I'm watching this. I'm going, what is he doing? Like, you, I'm like, I'm, I'm all confused. I'm a kid. I'm like, what? well, why are they kicking him off? They kick him back off the track. He goes back in the infield. By the time he gets back in the infield, his car's fixed. He hops back in his own car. He comes from dead last, and I think he got up to, like, fifth. But if there would have been another four or five laps, he was coming. And I, I don't remember if the – if Billy Nelson or Don Rosine, one of those two, won that Labor Day shootout, but it was just the craziest thing. And from that point, I'm like, that guy's awesome. Well, then we bought his car. My dad gets laid off from work. Transition into 1982. My dad gets laid off from the mines for that year, and uh, Ron Jones is out of a ride. You know, one of the, you know, this guy's a great race car driver. He doesn't have a car to drive. You know, he money was tight for him, and he talked to my dad next thing you know ron jones is driving for my dad and we traveled everywhere i was used to mainly just going to hibbing and occasionally to rapids but that year we went to cedar lake and menominee and ashland and hibbing and we raced thunder bay every single wednesday and we and i went up there several times and i was scared to death we had a little tiny like um bronco not a white one like uh O.J. Simpsons, this one was blue and white, right? (laughs) (laughs) A little short wheelbase, and I remember that the short, tiny wheelbase in the trailer, that thing would whip back and forth. I literally thought I was going to die, for sure. There was no question in my mind that we were going to flip over and die. Well, then the old North Shore, going from Duluth up to Thunder Bay, the road was windy. There was the cliffs, and I remember I would just hide in the back seat. I was about scared to death. I'm like this, like, for sure... You know, I was already – I didn't like heights anyway. You're looking down over the water, and that thing's whipping, and, you know, we're from ditch to ditch all over the road. I'm like, oh, my God, this thing is just out of control. But we go up to Thunder Bay, and, and man, I I created some really good friends. Like, I would kind of wander off in the pits, and I became buddies with Joel Kreiderman. I became buddies with Jeff Helget, And it turns out that both of those guys, as they started racing Hibbing, because I started becoming friends with them through Jones, and you know, keep in mind I'm only eight, but they actually used to come over to the house all the time when they came to hitting. Another guy, uh, Don Kettering, he passed away a couple years ago. You know, so all them Thunder Bay group, we became friends with a ton of people up in Thunder Bay. I have some stories about that for another day. That'll just you, need could write a book, have a soap opera. It was crazy, but just had a blast. And you know, I remember like all the invitationals, I. I would hang out because Joneses knew all these people, but, you know, I actually hung out in the grandstands because I was too young to go in the pits, and, you know, I would sit up with uh, the Rudiger clan and the Procknell clan and the Jeske clan, and, you know, I, I, just, uh, I started hanging out with uh, Jeff Hinkemeyer's kid, Brad. So that year, it wasn't the racing. It was actually being able to interact with all these people and building friendships and, and being like, these guys are my heroes, and that's how I fell in love with the sport, And honestly, that's what's lacking today, right? All the racing is still there, but you don't see the fans interacting with the drivers like they did back when we were kids. And I think that's why car uh, car counts are diminishing. So they need to get back to that in some way, shape, or form. Because if not for that, I I probably wouldn't have fell fell in love with racing the way that I did. But I have so many memories from that year. Ron Jones actually drove my dad's car in Procter that year, and uh, got had an incident with another driver. He got rolled over on the start of a of the Chuck Helmer Super Stock Invitational. He got rolled over on the first lap, and actually uh, actually got a spot back because it was the original restart. And after rolling over, they ripped the roof roof off and everything. He drove away from the field by like a half a track, and I'm like. I'm hooked. Like I got I gotta have a car now. This is this is awesome. And and from that point on I was drawing race cars all the time and like I knew I was gonna race and the minute I was old enough to have a race car I had one. Even though my dad tried talking me out of it, he said that no, no, you wanna have money, I'll buy you any kind of car you want. I'm like, perfect, I want a race car. Well you gotta (laughs) buy that yourself, he said. So but that that, that's kind of my story as far as getting started and i remember that year like it was literally yesterday like a whole a whole bunch of that year and uh I, I honestly don't remember a whole lot prior to that but man i have a ton of memories from 1982 and i have a ton of pictures and a lot of stuff that i've shared on different sites and you know i would say that a lot of the people that that i was watching at that day some of them still race their families still race today and and uh, some of those guys are legends: Dick Chrisman and Bob Girardi, and you know all of those guys. Bob Reed, you know, some of those guys were just great to watch. But Puka, you didn't. One thing you didn't mention is, you know, you fell in love with a, one of them Canadian people too. You know, well, well you that's, that's, that's kind that's, of a common ground, right there. Tell, <laughs> tell us about uh, how you became a big Nesbitt fan.
0: Well, that was the night he's the one that won the 1989 Labor Day Shootout. See, so that night that I was there, he swept in '88, and all I wanted to do was go over there because I knew the name again from the newspaper, and all I wanted to do was see him win a race. He wanted, you know, both nights in '88, and then he he repeated in '99, and that's what that's what hooked me. But I wanted to get back to what you were saying about, you know, some of that seriousness, and and Bert, you could chirp in here too, but or or not seriousness, but the fun and the fans, and it just it just it just seems like it is too serious now and maybe it's the money and it's the travel, it's the commitment or whatever it's, or it's the $50,000 haulers. I don't know, but it seemed like, yeah, like I remember that. I remember one time I went to the, a regular night with you to Hibbing, and your, your dad was racing and, and him and Pete Wallers got into it. And, and you're on the way home. Your dad said, I told Pete, he's got to come over and help me. I think you you guys were running leaf springs then. And he I told me you got to come and help me straighten out these leaf springs. And, and, and they did, you know, everyone kind of interacted where now it seems like, Going to another guy's racing shop is almost taboo. It's kind of like our podcast. It's like when it gets when it's not fun, we won't do it anymore. But we want to do it because it's fun, you know?
2: <laughs> right, right. And and it turns out Pete Waller's. I mean, he won the first two Wasilla Superstock national championships, but he actually raced for my dad, right? And in uh, nineteen, he won nineteen ninety 1990 and nineteen ninety one um, championships. But prior to that, my dad had a, a six cylinder, um, and and he actually um, raced a few shows for my dad over in grand Rapids when my dad had to work. And, and then Pete, his very first super stock was 1989, um, that year. And Pete actually
1: built his car and worked on his car at my dad's place all the time.
0: Anything else to add
1: Bert? Well, you had mentioned haulers before, and I just wanted to add, I think when, uh, racing, when the introduction of the enclosed trailer, uh, took some of the um I don't know what the right word is uniqueness and free away advertising from <laughs> I mean I can re- I can remember when I was a kid you know like I said I only went uh I was we I grew up on a dairy farm so you know we were busy a lot so I could only go to two races during the summer and then the fair race uh Labor Day weekend uh but uh I had one of my grandmas lived in a town about a half hour from Shannon and we would visit her every other Saturday. And we'd always eat at the a in the town and the restaurant was right on the road where the drivers from the, a certain part of the state had to travel through, um, that, through the town the a was in to get the channel. So I would always make, make us sit on the side of the restaurant where I could uh, watch the road so I could watch the race cars being pulled by the restaurant. And, you know, I understand, you know, why people have enclosed trailers, but, uh, you know, it, it took some of the excitement away from, you know, seeing a race car being pulled uh, on a highway. I, I
2: totally agree, and another thing, and, and Puka, you probably did this too, in fact, you may have done it with me, but every time the Labor Day pseudo came to Hibbing, you know, there were several hotels then, there was there was a lot more hotels around Hibbing and Chisholm, in fact, Chisholm had a hotel at the time, they don't anymore, but we used to on friday nights because labor day shootouts always been saturday sunday so on friday night we'd hop in the vehicle let's say 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock and i would talk my parents into let's just drive to all the hotels to see and and drive through the track to see which cars are in town and and that was great i mean we would drive all over and we'd see people from you know all over wisconsin to canada there's people from iowa there's always people from north dakota And we're like, oh yeah, this guy's here, this guy's here, and then it got to the point where people got into the enclosed trailers, and forever it's like everybody had a 24 foot white box, (laughs) like they all looked the same. So now we're like, I got no clue who that one is because everybody's haulers looked exactly the same from that point forward for a long time. But that was a huge deal. In fact, um, you know, the best open trailers ever built are actually from your direction over there um reliable i think it's reliable welding pete parker and and i used to yeah i used to draw those like i remember when i was drawing race cars i would actually draw a parker trailer with a race car on it because then trailers were so cool and uh another story about that dick Christman. now you remember dick Christman, of course right puka oh yeah for sure yep uh, just a legend he won a ton of races and I remember one night, it was such a big deal. Like, nobody had an enclosed trailer. There was nobody at the racetrack with an enclosed trailer. But Dick Chrisman, he had a, I mean, we're talking, he had a cube van. Nothing special, just a cube van. And he had a, I believe it, it looked like a Parker trailer. I assume it was a Parker trailer. But he actually took and he put lights all mm-hmm. around it. I mean, <laughs> all down the sides, all down the cube van. And I remember Freddie Fran saying, we got a special treat for the, everybody tonight after the races. And they turned all the lights off, and everybody sat there. And Dick Crispin drove his hauler, all the lights, right. And it's like now they'd be looking at that guy, going, "Man, is that guy like broke? Why doesn't he have an enclosed trailer? What is his deal, right? What a bum!" And uh, it, and that was just crazy because that was such a big deal to to be able to see that as a fan. But as you're driving down the road, you guys are right on the money. You see, you see a race car on a trailer, boom, you got instant interest. Now you see a white box, and it's no different than a semi truck going on the road and uh so that that's definitely changed the times,
0: yeah, well, like I said, I used to get us real fired up as kids we'd see you know the cars coming down the hill, and like I said it was we knew it was race night, so well, great job guys and we'll i uh, I'm sure we'll revisit this through the overtime here and and get back to some of these stories these are these are great uh you know kind of going down memory lane here, so but next up on the uh, agenda tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about iRacing. And I don't know much about iRacing. And, and uh, so, Ryan, I think I'm going to turn it over to you right away. And then, Bert, you can comment. Um, all I know is kind of what I see. You know, I've seen the sponsorship on Casey Kane's Sprint. Of course, the sponsorship is going to be on Josh Richards' car this year. That just came out recently with uh, some unveiling of, of his body and, and car for next year. So why don't you kind of dive in? I know there was a lot of chatter about uh, this at PRI this year
2: yeah absolutely so i i mean mo a lot of the younger generation definitely knows what i racing it's just eyes for internet right so it's internet racing it's a it's a glorified video game so i remember when i was a kid i mean mario Andretti racing racing um, was like the big deal you could race the race the sprint cars and then i think on i think it was playstation came out with the world of outlaw sprint car game and they had dirt late model racing and that was all like on playstation and stuff like that and that was kind of the biggest deal that's all you could do back in the day but, you know, that's, that's transitioned over time with, you know, with the Internet being so relevant today, you know, and, and so much happening, it, it transitioned into people who were actually racing dirt late models online. And now racing it is so advanced. I mean, it is crazy. I mean, people have, you know, they have racing seats and basically little simulators at home, you know, with the feedback and steering wheel and gas pedal. You know, and they multi, big screens and headsets, and and you can race with people all over the all over the world, really. Now, I didn't realize this, but there's several racers, right? I was actually Johnny Broking being one of them. He actually, I mean, he, I went over to his house one day, and he's like, "Hey, you got to come check this out." And he had i racing. A buddy of mine, uh, Nate Seavalls, in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, same thing. He goes, "You got to check this out." And these guys race all the time, and there's a lot of high end people. I'm talking, you know jimmy mars and and all these people that they race i-racing and it's it's become so incredibly popular um a couple things that they do with it i heard i think it was christopher bell talking about they actually i-racing will come in and they'll scan the track i don't know exactly how that works but basically they they can map it out like gps scan the track and then they actually—that's how they make it, make it for the video game. So it's almost like you're racing on the actual racetrack itself. It's it's like a mirror image. So they'll actually go on there and they'll race on iRacing. Some of the tracks are going to go to just to get a feel for the track. And it's it's—I mean—it's not exactly like dirt racing, but it's it's very touchy. You got to be up on the wheel. And I didn't realize—I mean, you there's invitationals, there's tournaments, there's people out there. Um, I went to the PRI show, and they had a marketing class down there. The first 20 minutes of the marketing class was them talking to a guy. I don't remember his name, but he was talking how he gets sponsors for iRacing. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Well, on iRacing, you can actually design the car any way you want. And and actually, at some of these big invitationals, it pays pretty darn good money. And there's people that will actually go on, and they'll just be watching. So they have all these forums, and you can actually go on. It's, it's basically like renting a pay-per-view race except for it's digital racing. And it's so realistic looking that if you don't know what you're looking at and you're not paying close attention, sometimes you're looking at it and you're like, is that actually a real race? Like what is, what is going on here? Cause they have announcers. I mean, they, I mean, it's like full blown racing online and obviously it's uh you can spend as much money as you want to there also, but it's significantly <laughs> cheaper. And, it's just crazy how the world's changing. You know, people are, you know, just not as social as they were, say, 20 years ago. And now, you know, people just jump online and they're like, well, heck, I can race this many times as I want per day. I don't have to worry about the weather. I mean, I can, like, I can literally race it. So so there is actually people, there's like younger folks, millennials and such, that instead of them transitioning into racing real cars, a lot of them, they're like, I don't really have any interest in racing a real car. I, I want to race this instead. And to them, it's the same thing. And, and for me, it's just confusing because part of my favorite, you know, one of my favorite parts about racing was the people. But also, like, when you win, you had all the, you know, you had all the glory and the people that were there. You know, you had that significance. And now people are, you, you can still have that a little bit, so to speak, on the, on a video game. It's It's weird to me. You know, I think that's saying how old I am, right? You know, I'm forty five years old, just about forty six, but man, it's a it's a lot bigger deal than I thought, and it's here to stay, and it's getting more and more advanced, it's getting more and more popular, and I I tell you what, it is it's absolutely amazing the technology out there today, um, for, for people to do it. So if your kid is a, a video game junkie, I I hate to be the one to say this, but Sometimes there is some money to be made. You, you can they can race that and they can make some money there. But um, interesting how they're actually sponsoring dirt cars. That's how popular it's getting to be, where they're sponsoring dirt cars. Like you said, Christopher Bell, uh, Josh Richards. You know, so it's uh, iRacing is here to stay. Um, hopefully we can parallel it with with actual dirt track racing. Um, but hopefully it doesn't take too much away from the sport too.
0: Yeah, I remember when it came out on uh, PlayStation, that sprint car game. Gosh, I thought that was the coolest. Remember that That was like the first time like a controller would vibrate. Remember you got into somebody or hit the wall yep. and your, your controller was like, wow, this is like so <laughs> realistic. And I imagine this iRacing is 10 steps above
2: that. So, If you've never done it, I, I recommend, and, and it's easy to find somebody who has it. You know, there's several people that do. I recommend just going over to somebody's house and saying, here, hook me up. I'll pick out a track. You can set up your car. You can do all kinds of stuff. A person really does need to check it out. I am absolutely in no way, shape, or form ever going to buy the stuff to do it because I will end up like single because I would never, ever, ever, I would, I would nonstop be playing that thing because I have that addictive personality as it is. I don't think I'd ever get off it, you know. So I, uh, I recommend trying it out, but if you have an addictive personality, just, just be cautioned. Um, it's,
1: it's pretty fun.
0: Bert, what do you know about iRacing? You ever tried it?
1: So Ryan, are you saying that iRacing is better than pole position that I grew up playing on (laughs) Atari two thousand six hundred? Just yeah, just (laughs) another classic. It's a yeah, it's a it's a little Um, bit improved on that. uh, No, I I have not uh, done iRacing. Uh, I, I mean Ryan explained it pretty well uh, based on what I know about it. Uh, I do know of a driver from Seymour, Wisconsin, which is not far from Green Bay. Um, he, he was actually sponsored by iRacing. Um, Ty Majeski, he actually got a full-time ride in the NASCAR uh, truck series uh, for in 2020. And uh, I mean, this is asphalt, and I know this is a dirt podcast, but it, it's kind of a cool story. Um, when he, he started racing uh, go-karts on the dirt, And uh, Michael Waltrip actually saw him racing uh, go-karts down south somewhere and uh, convinced him to give uh, Asphalt Late Models a try. Uh, So he did that. And one of the things he did to become more familiar with racing Asphalt Late Models was using iRacing. Uh, So, yeah, drivers are using it to uh, better their skills and, and stuff like that. And I know there are some uh, dirt racers on this side of the state who have systems, and they do i racing. Uh, you know, they'll have uh, they'll set up a time where they race against each other online. And uh, in fact, uh, in the eastern part of the state, uh, there was a big fundraiser for um, uh, a boy in the area who was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, the i racers in this area. Uh, did a special race, eye racing, and um, donated proceeds from that race to to this little boy.
0: Oh, that's cool! Wow, I that, think you know we've talked about this, Ryan. With the like you said, the pay per view. It's like like you said, this eye racing stuff like this. It's here to stay.
2: Yeah, it, it it sure is. You know, and and like Bert said, you know, people going on there to hone their skills and you know the hand eye coordination and the feedback and timing and all that. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it, I tell you, you get pretty close. I mean, if you can be really if you can be really smooth at i-racing that is absolutely going to help your skills in an actual race car because then things are touchy you know you can set the steering wheel to like whatever ratio you want so if you got to turn the wheel a little further or a little less no different than a race car so there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of technology a lot of popularity obviously they're getting they're getting involved in racing itself because they're sponsoring different events sponsoring drivers you know, so it's – uh I tell you what, if you haven't seen it, you need to check it out because it's it's about the most realistic thing I've ever seen as far as a video game goes for racing.
0: All right, fellas, nice work. Well, we're on to the last lap segment, so we've got one to go. What we learned during the week, some big news. Uh, Deer Creek Speedway is for sale. So after the Queensland uh, – Randy Queensland, he's been running it for about 20 years – uh, we got a two point five nine five million dollar price tag of the of the sixty two point three acre facility. Uh, Bert, thoughts on Deer Creek? You think it's gonna, you know, be off the market by May first?
1: <laughs> uh, I would say probably not. Uh, that's a pretty big uh, price tag. Uh, I've never been to Deer Creek before, but I've heard it's a beautiful facility. Uh, they put on a lot of great racing special events. Um, you know, with, with that type of type of a price tag, um, it's going to take uh, a fairly so rich owners to come in and purchase that. Otherwise, you're going to, ha- you know, if you take out a loan for that amount of money, you're going to have to uh, really pack some some people into the stands Oof, to pay yeah, that off. Uh...
0: Yeah, it'll be a slow payment there. Ryan, you've got some history down at Deer Creek.
2: I do. I actually won my first national championship there in, uh, in 2000, I passed Don Ishens to win, uh, not only the feature, but the national championship and the super stock. So that place is near and dear to my heart. And I think that was the year before Queensland took it over and, uh, just a great family. You know, they've been involved with racing for a long time. You pull into that place and, uh, Every time I've ever pulled into the Deer Creek Speedway since they had it, somebody from their family, if not multiple people, would pull over to my car. Is there anything I can do to help you? If you need anything, let me know. Just great people, some great events, great facility. They have a huge campground um, tied in with that. Now, I'm assuming that the campground also goes with the sale of the racetrack. And so that, so it's not just a racetrack. They've got a big campground there right south of Rochester, but uh you know i i was thinking you know me me and puka you you and i could maybe each write a check for half each
1: (laughs) let's Um, do it i don't
2: know that it was yeah we could write a check now i don't have that kind of money in the account but i mean we could write a check for sure but uh yeah that's a lot of money and but they they do have a good fan base down there they've had big shows so if somebody's looking to get into the sport you know that's that's not a bad track to buy in fact uh there's a few tracks for sale. I know the Devil's Lake Speedway up there in uh, North Dakota, um, that one's for sale too. So if somebody's looking for that one, you know, they, they could probably get into that track as well. So I'm surprised to see them get out of it, but I'm not surprised if you know what I mean. You know, after 20 years of the grind, um, that's been their whole life for 20 years. I think they're just ready for the next chapter in their life and, you know, looking forward to see if somebody somebody buys it and where it goes from there.
0: Yeah, and some of the reading
2: that I did, it sounds
0: like they're they're kind of floating this thing. They said we have no intention of closing it. Uh, bet to back up, Ryan, yes, the campground is included. But they said, you know, they said, you know, we have no plans of closing it. We're enjoying what we're doing. Like you said, it's a family affair, but I think they're just kind of floating it out there. Uh, you know, the economy's been good for a while, so uh you don't want to put something for sale at the bottom. You kinda of want to put something for sale towards the top. So I think they're, you know, they'll see what kind of offers they get, but it sounds like they're still committed. Uh, to Deer Creek. And so that's good news for everyone in the Rochester, Minnesota area. Well, races four and five of the Dryden extreme dirt car series were supposed to take place over the weekend, uh, but rain forced the cancellation of the 5,000 to win race on Saturday at Cochrane speedway in Cochrane, Georgia. However, the fellas were able to mash the gas yesterday, Sunday at Cherokee speedway in Gaffney, uh, South Carolina for the second visit of the year or the second visit of the season for the tour. Uh, Ryan, what's the, anything stick out for you down there at Gaffney?
2: Day racing is absolutely retarded. That's what stuck out to me. Like anybody who if you schedule a day race on purpose, like you should like, like quit as a promoter. That That's what stuck out to me. They raced that show at one o'clock. It was one lane two two right, uh, right around the tires. There, nobody passed anybody absolutely terrible you know they're trying to put this series together it's hard enough to race on a sunday as it is but they're racing at one o'clock i mean come on guys i mean you should you'd think they know a little bit better than that um I, I did see that ross bales actually won the feature he's currently sitting second in the standings. and a little bit about ross for a short little stint he had the house car there for barry wright and and he's in the rocking car now and madden uh he got a top five out of the deal but he had to be frustrated i mean Let's be honest. I looked at the at the field there. Matt is the class of the field by by a long shot. He's the best driver in that group, and nobody could pass anybody. So that day racing deal, they have that's got to go. They they need to they need to fix that and rethink that.
0: Yeah, Ross did get the clean sweep there. Uh, Bert, I know you've got some intel. You uh, did some digging on the, this race.
1: Yeah, I was. I was just going to say that the track conditions were uh, Ryan's favorite. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, if if you look at the, at the results uh, where drivers started and where they finished, there wasn't much passing at all. Um, I watched uh, part of the video of the feature and what I could see of the stands. It looked like they did have a decent crowd though. So uh, that was good. Um, But yeah, I mean, Madden's leading in the championship by 16 points over Bales, uh, in three races, or actually four races, Madden has made $18,200. Bales has only raced in three races so far, and he's, he's taken home $11,050. Um, so it'll be, I don't know what the point structure is. So I don't know if Madden has it sewed up already with one race to go. Um, but I was looking at the, at the payout for the points fund and you don't need 100 participation if you finish in the top three positions but if you finish in four through ten to get your point fund money you have to participate in 100 percent of the shows mm. so i thought that was very kind of interesting. interesting
0: well yeah that that's a remember it's a twenty thousand dollar to win it's twenty thousand for first ten thousand for six or excuse me ten thousand for second Five thousand for third. So think about that. six race series paying twenty grand to win. Now it's down to five because you know one race got canceled. So they have you know the one race that remains will be uh, at Modoc Raceway in Modoc, South Carolina. That'll be uh, on uh, Leap Year Day, Saturday, February 29th. And of course, uh, check back here and we'll have the results for you. But um, yeah, just uh, uh, you know, fourteen cars only. I mean, I'm glad to hear that you said that the fan count was high, uh, but you know, only fourteen cars. Just wow, but. You know I guess fans is what's gonna make the series run again next year but what what do you guys think what are the odds that we see this series back again next year?
2: Well I think they're gonna to have to make some changes right um, if they're only getting 14 cars you know at an event and, and really the car cones haven't been all that great at the other events they may want to rethink a few things and figure out why are they lacking cars. Um, because of the payout was pretty decent. I mean, it wasn't a bad payout. I think it was five. wasn't Wasn't it five grand to win the feature, which is fairly, yep. fairly decent, especially yep. this time of year. You know, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I would think it'll be back as long as the tracks are profitable doing it. You know, because always remember, you know, fans are revenue and and uh, cars are an expense. But you know, if you only have fourteen cars, though, that's a that's a Eye opener, and, and we're talking Cherokee Speedway. There's some there's some history in racing there, and I would have to think that they get a lot more cars than that during the regular season. So it's kind of disconcerting to me that that the car counts are so low. And you know, I've never seen somebody purposely schedule shows on a Sunday. And I, I believe two of these races have already been on Sundays. So it's just I'm confused by that. Maybe they think a little bit different in the South than we do up here. I don't know. But you know they always say that Friday nights and Saturday nights are the best for racing, so the fact that they went on a Sunday is just kind of a head scratcher, yeah,
1: yeah, and I have to agree with Ryan on the you know racing during the day uh one of the things I hated the most was when we would go to the Wasota One Hundred or the Punky Manor, and one of the nights would get rained out, and then they'd have to finish the program on Sunday afternoon. Um, so yeah, I mean, night racing is much better than day racing.
0: Well, just to uh, add on to what you said there, Bert. Yeah. So Chris Smokey Madden lead the points, he's 16 points ahead of Ross Bale, Zach Mitchell's in third, 18 points out and Ryan, the tickler, Kyle Strickler, he's uh, sitting in fourth, just 19 points back. So, and like we said, one more race on leap year day. Well, it was announced this week that the USR USRA late models are going to join the twin 25s. In July of 2020, so this will be the first appearance for the USRA Late Models in Superior. Uh, the Troy Powers promoted event, all of you in the Wizoda area are pretty uh, familiar with Troy Powers. He's the run, one that ran the 2020, well, a couple of different versions of the 2020 racing page. Of course, he's an eye doctor, hence the 2020, and now he's got the 2020 Facebook page. Uh, you know, Bert, you've seen a lot of these, you know, crate type late model races out in your area. You know, what should fans in Superior expect uh, in July of 2020?
1: Well, I mean, the cars look the same as a, you know, a regular Wasota late model. Uh, obviously, the power is different. Um, you know, so, you know, they, they tried great racing on the eastern part of the state. And I mean, they tried fast track at, with it as a sanction. And uh, I mean, it was all right, but I mean, it's not the same speed wise as the regular late models, and um, it it the crate late models just didn't take off on this side of the state like it like they had hoped. Um, but I mean, I like all all types of late model racing, so I wish them the best.
0: Ryan, uh, I know you've you've already had an opinion on this USRA deal, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can recap. <laughs>
2: Well, I'm going to say this to start off with. You know, I'm excited for the event, the Twin 25s, uh, Troy Powers, and now his son, Jonathan Powers. They do a bang-up job with that over at the Gondeclaw Speedway in Superior. That's been a great event for fans, for drivers. I know a lot of Wissota late model drivers are excited for that event each and every year. It's been a good show. Um, you know dirt dirt race central you can actually catch it live they actually have a pay-per-view for it so you can watch that as well so that part of it is great i mean there was some great racing there last year with the late models if you want my opinion on the b models or crate late models um jump on facebook type in hot carl chassis and he has a a great video about his thoughts on crate late models mine are exactly the same um, Hot Carl is a good friend of mine from down in Texarkana, Texas. And uh, check that video out. It's on Facebook. I urge everybody, if you haven't heard it, he's got a lot of videos out there that are great. May not want to have a little kid around um, when you're listening to it because there <laughs> may be um, some flavor um, to his uh, to his verbiage there. But but the fact is, um, you know, Bert. One of the first things that he said is they look the same. And myself, I have a hard time with that. I I don't think the two classes ever should look the same, whether it's A mods and B mods or A late models and B late models. It don't matter. Um, But the fact is they're giving it a shot. Hats off to them guys for trying something different. You know, uh, I guess it's their show, right? Um, But I'm I'm just not a fan of the class in any way, shape, or form.
0: Well, fellas, I got a question for you. You both caught some laps of the Chili Bowl. How do they get away with the flagman being in the infield and just running out and waving the flag, isn't it 2020? Isn't that the craziest <laughs> thing? I mean, how do they get the insurance for this? It's
2: it's exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> uh, you know that back in the day they were always on the track, but honestly, the flagman is there for show. The, they they don't watch the flagman. They got receivers, right? So they're you know they're, they're everything's everything's in their ear. So the the flagman is yeah they may the the front guy may see the flag. But they—that's honestly the flag man running out on the track, and that—that's all for show. Um, they're using receivers now, and they've been using them for a long time, and, and that's really the—that's really what starts the race.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just you know it's just crazy. I mean like you said, they used to do that, and then they learned, they got smart, they put them up in towers above the track. You know, it's like <laughs> well, what if it's 2020? I mean, what if a tire rolls off and smacks it? It just—it just. It just... I don't know. Well, I I heard
2: I heard the rumors there, Puka, that some race car drivers may or may not have a little bit of a temper, right? (laughs) You know, so I mean, you'd think just for their safety, if they make you know the wrong call or whatever, you know, maybe they'll somebody will try to treat them like a bullfighter, right? And the race car will kind of go right at them and you know try to teach them a lesson. I remember back in the day, there was definitely some altercations between drivers, not necessarily running them over, but drivers getting out and getting after it with the with the officials. So yeah, it's but I guess the, that's old school racing right there. So at least they
1: had to have something exciting at the chili bowl. Cause the racing wasn't
0: <laughs> yeah, bird. Did you notice that?
1: Yeah, I noticed that. And yeah, I mean, like Ryan said, that used to always be like that, but yeah, I noticed that. And I thought, uh, I don't think that's the job for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was just, uh, I was kind of stunned. Like I said, I thought we were, you know, well beyond that, but uh, had a couple of birthdays today. Uh, Brandon Shepard celebrating a birthday. Uh, The young man and uh, Mike Marlar selling a birthday today. He's turning 42. And now, fellas, the important part of the day, Super Bowl weekend, Chiefs 49ers. What you guys got? Why don't you start?
1: Um, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I hope the Chiefs win. No particular reason other than uh, I'd like to see Andy Reid get a Super Bowl win.
2: What are you thinking? Well, it's going to be an interesting matchup. you got the most explosive strike-like-a-viper team in the NFL with the Chiefs, and you have the the biggest, strongest, powerful team, the most physical team in the 49ers. I'm a Midwest guy. I am 100% not going to cheer for a California team. That is not going to happen. So I'm with Burt. I'm going for the Chiefs. I'd love to see Andy Reid get his first win. And I tell you, if you're a football fan – you're a fan of Patrick Mahomes. The guy is all over the place, you know, and the speed that they have with Tyreek Hill, you know, it's just, it's crazy watching them guys put up points. So I'm I'm all Chiefs, but I, I believe it's going to be a high-scoring, exciting game, and I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, yeah, and I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the, you know, the Kobe Bryant tragedy and not just Kobe, but the, what, was there nine others on board or was it nine total? But um, just, you know, I I I just think it's going to be one of those, this is going to be one of those days where you're going to remember when you, where you were, when you heard that Kobe died. And not that, you know, I was telling Bert before the show, I, not that I, you know, I'm a hockey guy. And, and, you know, I didn't, I mean, I watched Kobe plenty, I guess. And I I don't have a negative opinion, but I never thought I had a a real strong favorable opinion, but gosh, just as the day went on yesterday, just, it seemed like every half hour popped into my mind, you know, what the heck's going on here? And maybe, I don't know, maybe it just shows we're not all invincible. I don't know. I just, uh, you know, like I said, I think we thought we'd better mention it. So, you know, uh, Ryan, you want to start?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that just goes to show how important sports is to our society as a whole. You know, we have a pretty divided country right now on a lot of topics, you know, and we, fortunately, we're not a we're not a politics podcast and we're never going to be. But it's pretty divided. There's a lot of division. You know, a lot of people get after each other. But the one constant in in the United States of America is sports. No matter how divided you are on different topics and beliefs and this, that, and the other, sports is something that has just constantly brought people together, gives them some common ground, you know, and, and that's it's a big, big deal. It's a big part of our society. There's so much on the media. There's so much on the news, you know, and, and watching these people grow up. Now, this brings me back to Dale Earnhardt, right, because I – You know, again, I'm with you. I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I'm a sports fan. You know, any time it comes down to the finals in any sport, I want to watch it. And this guy's won five championships in the NBA, um, arguably one of the top three to ever play, top three best players in in the NBA to ever play the game. And, you know, know, he had a few rough, rough patches in his life, but he, boy, the things that he's done with his life throughout his career and now after his career in basketball and, just you know he's really become a just a role model for many I tell you it's a it's a big deal you know it's a it's huge, and you know I see people on Facebook going, oh, maybe they need to talk about these people more or these people more it's not about that because everybody's everybody's mourning and sad for everybody that passes away, whether they're in that incident or you know in the military or whatever it's it's a sad deal when somebody loses their life it's a sad deal, but people don't understand how big of a deal sports is especially competing at that level you know one thing when they interviewed Kobe after you know after he had retired they said you know are you at peace and and he says yeah i'm at peace i left i did everything i could possibly do to be the best i could ever be in every aspect of my game and and if you look at that in any sport and it could be racing right because that's what we're all about is racing but you think about the guys in racing or any other sport what it takes to succeed what it takes to win at a high level what it takes to consistently be the best these people pour into that and i'm telling you there's a lot of people in this country struggling with all, I'm talking with all kinds of things, whether well, it's financially, relationships, health, right, mental illness. I'm talking all kinds of things, drug addictions. I mean, you name it. But the one thing that keeps people a little bit excited about life is sports. And, and Kobe Bryant was uh, he's a household name. It, it was never Kobe Bryant. I, I don't even remember anybody calling him Kobe Bryant. He, he was so popular that it was just Kobe. That's it. There's no Kobe Bryant. It's just Kobe. And that brings me back to Dale Earnhardt. You know, I've seen, we've all seen celebrities die or heard about it. I've seen it but heard about him dying. And, but I, I tell you what, I, when Dale Earnhardt died, I cried plain and simple. He was my hero. He was my favorite racer. He was somebody that like, I, I wanted to be like him. I had that intimidator, that attitude, not afraid to use the bumper some of you racing, uh, that you raced against me, you're probably nodding your head going, yep, absolutely. But when he passed, I'm telling you, it tore at me. It was like a, a piece of me was gone. NASCAR died because of it. And it just brings me back to that. And, and so many people in sports, if you're a big sports fan, this is a big hit. And, you know, not just him, but his daughter being there. So it's a big story. It it really is. And, you know, it's a it's a sad day for the sporting world, you know, but I think we just got to you know, we just got to remember, life is short. You know, Kobe is going to be remembered forever. He left a legacy, right? And this is what I urge everybody to think about in, in, in my part closing this out is this. What are, if you were to die today, how would people remember you? What would they remember? Would they say, oh, he was a nice guy? Or, oh, yeah, he did pretty good at that. Or he was a hard worker. But did you make a difference? And the one thing that Kobe can say, you know, in, in his legacy that's going to last forever is he truly made a difference to many, many, many people in many, many different ways. And that legacy is going to live on forever. So whatever you do, it doesn't matter what it is that you're passionate about, go all in, do it to the fullest and try to be the best at what you can be and leave that legacy because we're only here for a little while.
0: Wow. Very well said, Ryan. Very well said. That's That's great. Uh, Bert, do you have any comments?
1: Well, I mean, I just wanted to say, you know, it, it's a sad deal. And the fact that, you know, there were kids on board just compounds that, uh, you know, Ryan was saying that, you know, it, uh, brings back memories of when Dale Earnhardt died. Uh, for me, it brings back memories of when, uh, uh, Alan Quickie was killed in a plane ac- in a plane crash. And then also of when, uh, Davey Allison was killed in a helicopter crash uh you know same types of of deals so um anyway you look at it it's a sad deal and um you know um you know prayers to the families absolutely so well great job guys like i said i thought
0: we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that so uh in closing here you know thanks race fans for joining us we appreciate every single one of you and uh i guess like we said with the backdrop of kobe you have something to add right
2: yeah, I just wanted to add uh, one thing from East Bay down there. The mods got done down there this last week, and, uh, you know, our, our Wisconsin native Buzzy Adams, um, he had a, a pretty decent week down there. He had a couple seconds, couple shows that were okay, but on the 75 lapper, when the money was on the line, um, he got her done, and he actually, they swapped the lead back and forth several times. Heck of a good race. And he is actually coming to the checkered flag. I don't know if you guys saw that, but he was coming to the checkered flag and a yellow come out, and the, the race is basically over. I'm like, oh, my goodness, are you kidding me? And, uh, you know, the crazy thing is he had the restart, on a, and they didn't go green-white checkered. They just went green-checkered, and he just about gave it away. He, he picked up a push a little bit and uh, just about gave it away. But congratulations to Buzzy Adams on, on winning down there on the finale at East Bay. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, with that, uh, we will wrap up this week's podcast. And like I was saying earlier, we appreciate every single one of you. And like I said, in the, in light of this Colby strategy, we tell you every week to get out there and be your dream, your tune to the one to go show.